back, everyone, to the Tales Never Fails podcast. I am your producer. I am your host at Brands 5 I am joined live in studio, not really, but across the airwaves with the one and only Parker Hurley. Parker, how are you doing today? Doing good, man. Ready to talk about the New England Patriots, the uh, AFC champions, right? Oh, yeah, the NFC cha- AFC champions, uh, the good old dynasty of our generation, just the, uh, you know, the dark empire, whatever you want to call them here. We finally get a nice, exciting team to talk about this uh, this time, and uh, that's the New England Patriots. So uh, let's get into them a little bit. Uh, they uh, they round out the AFC East here, and uh, they, they've won the AFC East 14 out of the last 15 years, which is relatively impressive to say the least, huh? Yeah, I mean, it's the dynasty, and, you know, everybody debates, is it Bill Belichick, is it Tom Brady? I mean, it doesn't really matter. You know, it's both of them. They're both still here. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about, you know, the inside drama and everything like that because I do think it plays a little bit of a factor. But um, at, at the end of the day, I still trust the two of them to, you know, come together and make this thing happen. And then if you've listened to our other three AFC East podcasts, you probably know where we're heading towards the end of this podcast, you know, because – as great as Bill and Tom are, you know, the other three aren't really trying as, as hard as maybe they should be. Yeah, they might have a nice easy road here with that division. Uh, their odds are to win the division are minus 750, which is relatively just insane, to say the least. I mean, that's the best odds you'll probably find for a division. Yeah, to start a 16-game season, I mean, that's ridiculous. Yeah. All right, well, let's start with the offense here. Uh, offense last year, first in yards, and uh, for, which mainly came from their passing, and then uh, rushing every 15th. And we'll go on to uh, the good old one and only Tom Brady, who was, uh, if you haven't seen him lately, he's rocking that dad bod with Giselle, just looking just like he's living the life. Yeah, I mean, you talked about it with the dad bod, and that's actually kind of where I was going to go with my analysis on Tom Brady. So, um, you know, I don't have to tell you the stats or read off the list of things of Tom Brady, but the things that impress me about Tom Brady that don't get talked up enough is, um, you know, you talk about the dad bod and, you know, people are saying with his, you know, working out with this new trainer and Julian Edelman got the PED suspension and, you know, is Tom Brady doing steroids to, you know, extend his career? And I'm just like, you know, look at this guy. He's, he's quite obviously not doing steroids. So, you know, <laughs> what, what is it that this person's doing to extend his career that nobody's talking about? And in my opinion, it's pliability and flexibility. You know, they kind of go hand in hand with each other. And it's just, you know, he's a loose person. He's a loose body who can, you know, take those hits and absorb them. And, you know, that's what he's subscribed into. And that has nothing to do with, you know, steroids or any dark medicine or anything. It's just that, you know, his body is more free and he's putting, you know, the time into uh, stretching out his body and being more, you know, balanced and more loose than other people. And, you know, the one thing that I tend to pound into people's heads is, in my opinion, Tom Brady's a mobile quarterback, you know, not in the way that you define quote unquote mobile quarterback, you know, he's, he's slow and white. He's not going to, you know, run and do things crazy <laughs> out of the pocket. Uh, but what, what he's going to do inside of the pocket is move quickly with his feet. And he's going to move precisely with his feet. And he's going to, you know, avoid the pressure from five different angles at the same time while shuffling and stepping up in the pocket. Um, I think that has to do with his flexibility and ability to move in the pocket and just, you know, how how loose and how dynamic he is to move in the pocket. Um, Those are the two most impressive things to me for Tom Brady. And that's, in my opinion, why he's extending his career when so many people are questioning how he could do it. And then, you know, the last thing that I would just throw in with Tom Brady, because I'm, you know, I don't buy into the whole if him and Bill Belichick are feuding, that's one thing. I just don't think it's going to affect them on the field. I don't think that that was the reason that they lost the Super Bowl, anything like that. Um, 
So, you know, the last note that I would just throw in with Tom Brady is, you know, some of these sports analysts, and I hear it all the time about him potentially, you know, he might fall off a cliff. We saw Peyton Manning just fall off a cliff. You know, you never know when it's going to happen. This is how it goes. I just don't believe that at all because if you look into the Peyton Manning situation, he didn't fall off a cliff. And, you know, um, one of the reasons that I'm into gambling now is because I had a decent amount of success betting on the Denver Broncos the year that they won the Super Bowl with Peyton Manning. And I bet on them never for Peyton Manning. And I know that Peyton Manning was – he had worse statistics than Trent Dilfer when Trent Dilfer won the Super Bowl. He's the worst quarterback to ever win the Super Bowl. Oh, it was wow. that defense that was so good um, that took that team to the Super Bowl. Peyton Manning didn't fall off a cliff. He was bad that entire season. And if you followed the season before, I think it was week 12, he was playing the Los Angeles Rams, and he hurt his quad. And from that game on, you know, that was the Rams that, you know, I think they had the number one pick – the following year, they took Jared Goff the following year. So, you know, this was an awful Rams team who beat the crap out of Peyton Manning. You know, I think it was Aaron Donald's rookie season, maybe. Um, beat the crap out of Peyton Manning. He injured his quad. And then, you know, from week 12 on, that was the year they lost to the Colts in the playoffs. And I bet on the Colts that year because you knew from week 12 on that Peyton Manning was injured. And he came out the very next season. We all, he was never the same. And he was never the same from week one to the Super Bowl. So Peyton Manning did not fall off a cliff. That was a year, you know, over a year in the making. So it's just, you know, until I see Tom Brady take that hit or have that quad strain, I'm just not going to buy into that he's just going to fall off a cliff. I know he has a back thing um, in training camp right now. I just wouldn't worry about that. I I don't even feel the need to get into their backups at this point um, because I'm just not buying into the fact that he's going to fall off a cliff. So that that's my big take on Tom Brady. For those wondering, their backup is Brian Hoyer, the one and only. And a couple other tidbits, he is Tom Brady, 41 years old. I mean, first in passing last year, there's really just no signs, as he said, of slowing down. Right. Yeah, why would you Why would you bet on that? Um, if they did go to Hoyer, you know, I could see it falling off. You know, Tom Brady, in my opinion, is still that valuable to his team. Um, everyone talks about, oh, he did it with Matt Castle. I mean, Matt Castle is still in the NFL. Um, Hoyer, you know, he could maybe get the job done. But that was also a, probably a better Patriots team um, when we get when we start to go through the rest of the roster. Yes, and moving on to the rest of the roster, we have the offensive line here. And uh, one of the biggest losses you'll see on this team from uh, 2017-18 is Nate Soldier. So talk about this offensive line here. Yeah, um, Soldier, I mean, he had a great Patriots career in my opinion, but it started to tail off towards the end. And uh, they started, they made some moves to try and uh, you know supplant Soldier, and they're potentially better because of it. They went out and got Trent Brown, who a lot of people are speculating, you know, the the compensation that the Patriots got for Trent Brown, you know, it was probably just a throw in for the Jimmy Garoppolo trade. You know, they got a second round pick for, or they, yeah, all they got was a second round pick for Jimmy Garoppolo. So the 49ers threw him, you know, a cheap Trent Brown in there for him. And, you know, he's looking like the starting left tackle for the New England Patriots. And that could be a huge get for them. You know, a very athletic tackle who can get out in space. Um, He's huge. He's just, you know, a really big person. And they're actually concerned about his weight um, at this point. But, if they could get him in and they could really start to do some things with their tackles, um, I think it arguably could be an upgrade from Nate Solder. So that would just be a huge addition. Um, and then Mark Marcus Cannon's on the right side, who he was injured towards the end of last season. And that was another reason why I think the Patriots, uh, you know, they put up 40 something in the Super Bowl. But um, losing Cannon, I think, was an issue uh, going on towards the end of last season. So you're getting him back, you're potentially upgrading with Trent Brown over Solder. So, you know, potentially a better unit. And then I didn't even talk about the fact that in the first round you drafted Isaiah Wynn, who's a tackle, but could potentially play guard for them. 
Uh, I thought he was an elite tackle. I thought he was, you know, arguably right behind uh, Quentin Nelson as the second best lineman in the class last year. But uh, he's shorter. He doesn't have the reach. So a lot of people see him sliding into guard. The good thing that the Patriots have is they're bringing back their guard-center guard combination of, uh, you know, Tooney, Andrews, and Shaq Mason, who, you know, are all pretty good in their own right. And, you know, when they're healthy and when they're going together, it is a good group. So they're bringing that back. They're adding Marcus Cannon. You know, they're adding, you know, getting her cannon back from, you know, injury. Uh, They're adding Trent Brown, who arguably is an upgrade. And then you talk about Isaiah Wynn could play guard or could play any of the tackle spots. So um, in my opinion, you have an upgraded offensive line for Tom Brady, um, especially in terms of depth heading into the uh, heading into the new season. Wow. I didn't even know that. I mean, that's good to hear for Tom Brady because, you know, 41 and all that stuff. So Right, and I just add in Dante Scarnecchi as a really good offensive line coach. And, you know, you put a player like Wynn who is as versatile with him. That, that It really is big for Tom Brady. Yeah, that's huge. So let's move on to the good old uh, wide receivers here. Well, we have a lot of uh, movement here. Uh, as you have Edelman suspended four games, they lost Cooks. They added, some, they added Decker, Berrios, Patterson. Talk about this. This uh, wide receiver core here for uh, Brady. Yeah, you talked about it. They're kind of just throwing resources at, you know, the Edelman issue. Um, I think when Edelman gets back into the mix, he's obviously still going to be the man. Um, From Evan Silva, a stat just to note was, you know, Tom Brady's touchdown to interception ratio drops from uh, 5.9 to 4.7 since they've gotten Edelman. uh, 4.7 when Edelman's not in the lineup uh, since they got him. So it's worth noting that, you know, that's kind of Tom Brady's guy right now, you know, especially over the short middle. Um, so it is worth noting that, you know, those first four games, you know, wh- where's Tom Brady going to go to? How's he going to handle that? Um, it's probably nice that he has that healthy offensive line because he might be standing in those pockets. And like I said, creating time um, because he doesn't have a guy like Edelman to go to. Um, the young guys to, to look out for are Braxton Berrios and Riley McCarron. Uh, Braxton Berrios was from Miami, you know, just he, Braxton, they're both just what you would expect from a Patriots slot receiver. You know, they're Julian Edelman, Wes Welker, the like, you know, and then you get into Chris Hogan and Eric Decker, who, you know, are just taller versions of that. You know, they could play outside. They could play in the slot. Um, those are going to be probably the two starters moving into the start of the season, especially Chris Hogan. Uh, I think Chris Hogan is probably going to see the ball a lot over those first four games, like I talked about. Uh, he stretched the field, and he was a red zone target early into their season last year. Injuries kind of derailed his season, and he kind of hobbled up and down, you know, was in and out of the lineup from there. But he was a very good early season product for them, and I think it's going to be similar to where they're going to lean on him early with Edelman. And if he does get banged up or if he starts to be in and out of the lineup, then you have Edelman back, and it's not as big of an issue. So, um I think Hogan early and then maybe selling him late and then picking up a guy like Edelman late, uh, I think that really helps. Eric Decker, I mean, the question is, you know, he's coming off of, you know, back surgery and he just looks so slow and out of place in the uh, Tennessee Titans. And everyone talks about, oh, the environment of the Patriots, the Patriots way it's going to work out. And then you kind of look at some receivers and it's, you know, Reggie Wayne was there and it didn't work out. Chad Ochocinco was there and it didn't work out. You know, you could go down the line. It's a very complex system. Because Tom Brady's not going to throw the ball to you unless he trusts you to be in a specific spot at a specific time. And if he sees a player, you know, leaning one one inch to the left, Tom Brady's seeing that. If Eric Decker isn't seeing that and picking up on that, um, it's a huge issue in terms of communication. And when you add in the fact that he's not physically dominant at all, you know, you wonder if he's even going to get on the field. Uh, Philip Dorsett, a former first round pick, uh, they probably lost the Jacoby Brissett trade because. He hasn't done anything yet. You're hoping that he uh, returns kicks. 
could maybe replace uh, Brandon Cooks in terms of speed, but you're not really betting on that due to, you know, he hasn't shown anything yet. And then there's Kenny Britt, who a lot of people like, but uh, I'm just not a fan. And like I said, I just don't trust the Patriot way in terms of, you know, they haven't produced anything in terms of a receiver with issues like a, a Kenny Britt, you know, in terms, especially in terms of communication. And then lastly, you talked about Cordero Patterson, who I'm actually interested in because not even as a receiver really, but there's, you know, some plays that if you watch him from the backfield and you watch him as a return man, uh, this guy's dynamic. And I'm going to talk about it as we get into the running backs, how the Patriots use running backs in the passing game better than any team in the NFL. And I, Cordero Patterson is not a running back and they haven't shown him as a running back yet in the preseason. But I just think that they're going to probably put him in the backfield just throw the ball to him as quickly as possible and let him work with the ball in his hands. And that's never been an issue for him. The issue is running routes down the field. So um, I think it's, you know, it's probably kept secret. It's pretty hush hush now, but look for Cordero Patterson, because like I said, there's a lot that they can do with um, mixing and matching their running backs and receivers. You know, they're going to slide out some of their running backs to be wide receivers. And that's kind of just going to transition us into uh, the running back position. Yeah. I mean, so from like, a fantasy perspective, I mean, do you see any of these running backs, I mean, these wide receivers, like, especially in the first four weeks, I would say Chris Hogan definitely, but, like, do they see, like, a viable option? Because the Patriots do spread out a lot, especially to, obviously, Gronk and to the running backs. Yeah, I think the if you're going to try and make a move, it'd probably be taking Chris Hogan and then, like, trading him after a week or two and trying yeah. to get, you know, as much as possible. What if he has, you know, uh, I think he had a three-touchdown game early into last season. Or maybe that was Mike Gillespie. But, you know, he has a big game in week one and then you sell him off for, you know, you know, buck 25 on the dollar and you're probably happy with that. Also, I also think that Edelman's probably a good value at his price. Oh, definitely. And uh, Chris Hogan also has like some durability issues as well. Right. Uh, yeah, that's a guy that if, if you do draft him, draft him with the intentions of he's going to fill a void when Julian Edelman's out. But you got to sell him the minute that he peaks, you know, he peaks his value once he has a you know, even if it's 100 yards and a touchdown, you're, you're selling him that week. All right. Well, let's move on to this uh, running back core. And uh, this is a very interesting core. Uh, they have, let's see here. I mean, it looks like they're starting running back, at, like you say it is, is Rex Burkhead. I mean, you got James White here, the pass catcher. They had some uh, Jeremy Hill, the longtime uh, bangle. I mean, they drafted Sonny Michelle. Tell me about this running back. Very interesting running back core. It is very interesting, and it's probably going to take most of the season to sort out. But at this moment, Sony Michelle is injured, um, so he's probably out for week one at this point. So it's going to be interesting because they drafted him to fill the Dion Lewis role, which, like you said, that would probably be the quote-unquote starter was the Lewis role. You know, he led the team in carries. Um, he was more of the between-the-tackles runner than a James White or even a Rex Burkhead. So um, in the first preseason game, all momentum was towards – Jeremy Hill was probably going to take that Sony Michelle, Deion Lewis role between the tackles. And we all know Jeremy Hill from his time with the Bengals. And, you know, he had a great rookie season. He never really replicated it. Um, he had that fumble in the playoffs to lose the game. <laughs> so, yeah, so he has that going for him. But uh, he actually showed well in the preseason. Um, he showed in the passing game, which I've never really seen out of Jeremy Hill. They even motioned him out as a wide receiver. And, you know, that's what I'm talking about. With You can, you can find a way to get Cordero Patterson into the backfield. So um, I think he takes the Sony Michelle role. I think you obviously want before the end of the season for Michelle to take that role and be the between the tackles runner. You know, everybody compares him to Alvin Kamara, 
Um, and it's due to the fact that he has the ability to run through contact. Um, people talk about yards after contact, but you know, those are yards that, you know, even if they slap your ankle, that's yards after contact. He gets yards through contact where he has lower body strength to, um, pile off of runs. So, um, he has that going for him. He hasn't shown in the passing game yet, and he does have fumble issues. So it's worth keeping Jeremy Hill in the back of your mind. Although, like I said, all the intentions are hopefully Michelle is going to come on. Um, it's also worth noting that Michelle, before the draft, Mike Lombardi uh, said that he had uh, uh, bone on bone issues, which that's something that hindered Jay Ajayi. And Jay Ajayi has some questions with his health moving forward about that. But um, it also ends a lot of running backs' careers early. So. You know, he's already injured. He maybe has a potentially short shelf life. So it's it'll be an interesting draft pick. But uh, I think that this opens up a huge opportunity for, like you said, maybe now the starter is Rex Burkhead. And I really like Rex Burkhead. And I really like the idea of what they're going to do with Rex Burkhead. And we always talk about, you know, ever since Aaron Hernandez, they've been looking for the, you know, looking for the Hernandez to their Gronkowski. They're looking for it. It's not a tight end, but they might have found it in Rex Burkhead, and it's the fact that he's a mismatch player. You know, what was so impressive about Hernandez was Gronkowski was your traditional tight end who's going to block, who's going to go over the seam and, you know, be a red zone threat. Hernandez was a player who could motion, and, you know, he is outside wide as a wide receiver, or he is in the slot, or he's in the backfield doing things, um, and that's where Rex Burkhead comes into, into play, where he could be an H-back, you know, a fullback type. And now you're flaring him out to the, you know, to the flats and you're spreading things out and you're getting the ball in his hands. And he's extremely shifty. Um, I wrote an article and I'll plug it that uh, Google the schematic advantages of Rex Burkhead by Parker Hurley. And you'll see where I, I write how they put him and uh, James White and, you know, sometimes James Devlin, a fullback on the field at the same time. And if it's heavy, you know, if you put extra linebackers in because there's two running backs and a fullback on the field and Gronkowski's a tight end, you know, he's probably obviously on the field. So if you go extra linebackers, they're going to spread all of these players out. They're going to put Burkhead as a wide receiver or, you know, Cordero Patterson, like I mentioned, is in the mix now. They'll spread him out as a wide receiver and they'll expose mismatches with linebackers. If you take the linebackers off the field, we have Gronkowski, we have a fullback, we have Rex Burkhead. We're going to ground and pound and, you know, beat down these defensive backs. So this is what makes things tough. And this is why I really like Rex Burkhead. And I think that Injuries derailed the early portion of his season last year, and that's why I'm worried about Sony Michelle getting into the mix because it might be a season like Rex Burkhead last year. But I think the momentum towards the end of last year has Rex Burkhead potentially being uh, being a huge piece in this offense. Yeah, I mean the, the Patriots can find just so many ways to use the running backs out there. So I mean, if, let's talk fancy real quick. I mean, there's just so many running backs here. Is is Rex Burkhead your go-to in the, this backfield? Yeah, he really is, and uh. I know he's moving up his draft stock to like. Oh, I want to say he's climbing, yeah. Yeah, I want to say it was like the seventh round or eighth round, and now he's moving up because people are noticing that the Sonny Michelle injury, and you know, there's only so much that a player like Jeremy Hill can do. Um, and I talked about it. I really do believe that you know Bill Belichick understands these schematic advantages of Burkhead, and he used them against teams you know late into last season, and it, the momentum was really moving in his way, and he's going to be involved in the passing game. Um, Keep an eye on Cordero Patterson. I have no idea how they're going to use him, but I just feel like you can figure things out due to motioning that, you know, you get Patterson, you get Burkhead, you get Gronk. Like I said, Devlin's on the field. You know, that's four players right there. You throw in Edelman, and I mean, who knows what the heck you could do with those guys. Um, Lastly, to get into James White, just because 
he's not a between the tackles guy, but um, he he's going to add value because he can do all of this motioning that I talked about as well. Um, I think Burkhead is better between the tackles, you know, maybe 400 more yards between the tackles, something like that. So that's why Burkhead has so much more value, but I could, you know, James White just adds more to the mix. Oh, James White definitely can catch balls out of the backfield as he showed in uh, previous Super Bowls. Well, let's move on to everyone's favorite player at the tight end position, Rob Gronkowski. Talk about good old Robbie here and his lagging injuries he always has. Yeah, I mean, it's almost as simple as Tom Brady, and I mean, I won't even go as long as my Tom Brady talk because it's just so obvious what Gronk is. When he's healthy, he's, you know, arguably the most valuable player outside of a quarterback in the NFL, you know. He's, you know, if someone just said, you know, if aliens came down to earth and said, what is a football player? You know, like Tom, you know, it's like TJ Watt and Rob Gronkowski come up. You know, that's just what you think of when you think of a football player. Um, you know, there's an argument that he is because of, like I said, his value and the fact that when he's on the field, he's a sixth offensive lineman. When he's on the field, he's a third wide receiver. You know, don't even think about him as a running back. You know, he, he is arguably that valuable. And, you know, to have an elite tight end is arguably more valuable than even a player like Antonio Brown or, you know, a Le'Veon Bell type of player. So that's what we're talking about with Gronkowski. You talked about, you know, I think it's 45 of the last 63 games is what he's played. So damn, it's always going to be there. You know, it's always going to be the question of health. Um, he debated retirement this year. Um, I thought that was a bigger story than the, than the Tom Brady, Bill Belichick one even because, you know, he does have a lot, you know, he has a lot to lose potentially with his health. And if you actually – you know, read reports and listen to Grobkowski, it sounds like what he does is more of an act than who he is. You know, obviously he's a guy who likes to have fun, but it actually sounds like he's a pretty bright person who knows what he's doing with his money. And they've talked about how he's never spent a dime off of his football contracts. He make or he spends all of his endorsement money. So, you know, this is a bright guy who really doesn't have, you know, he's just playing football for fun at this point. So, you know, who knows? I, you know, I don't, but when he's on the field, he's just the best, and it's just so hard to say anything but that. Yeah, I mean, he's just an absolutely electric factory out there. I mean, you just love seeing him on social media, just doing all kinds of his Gronk things, you know. He's just so much fun. Yeah, I mean, we're two Pittsburgh guys, you know, Steelers fans. You know, I, I mean, I stopped being a Steelers fan to be objective, but, you know, I I just love Gronkowski. It's hard not to like the guy. Oh, dude, he's just so much fun. Um, Any, any thoughts about uh, some uh, depth guys here, like Dwayne Allen or even a, a holster? A tight end? Yeah, I mean, Dwayne Allen, Troy Nicholas, Ryan Izzo, they're all blocking potential players, so you can get them on the field. But I talked about how I think that, you know, Burkhead brings a little bit to the blocking. James Devlin's a blocker, so maybe you could figure out a little more with that. And, you know, maybe Cordell Patterson even cuts into a guy like Dwayne Allen's time. So I'm not too excited about them. Um, I would say Jacob Hollister because if Rob Gronkowski gets hurt, that's the pass-catching tight end. Uh, that's the only guy who can really go over the middle. Uh, he's from a small school. You know, there's he was a project player. You know, but there is some buzz about Jacob Hollister. So, you know, if there's anybody, it's Jacob Hollister. It's a shame that Dwayne Allen can't really get going again. He definitely had a nice little rapport with uh, Andrew Luck and Indy, but I guess he can't really get it going here in uh, New England. Yeah, I liked him more than uh, Fleener even when he was there. But yeah, between the injuries and it just doesn't seem like. Uh, he lost a step athletically, and now he's just a blocker. All right. Well, that's the good old offense there. Let's move on to the Patriots defense here. 
Uh, let's see, last year they were uh, 30th in yards against and 7th in points against. This is an interesting defense. Uh, I'm not sure about the losses, their uh, additions they added here. So let's start with the uh, what interior edge people or the interior people. Yeah, we'll start with the interior. And it kind of gets into your point of you know 30th in yards allowed, 7th in points. Um, they were just getting gashed in the running game, and then they were coming up strong in the red zone. And one of the players that they added is uh, Danny Shelton from the Cleveland Browns. You know, they got – he's arguably – he was arguably the best run defender, you know, in the NFL last season. They got him for next to nothing. It was just crazy how they were able to pull off the Danny Shelton move. And, you know, everyone kind of – there was a theme going that, you know, well, because the Patriots are 32nd in the NFL and they're being successful, this means that the, you know, run defense is not nearly as important as you think it should be. But, you know, I think the Patriots adding a guy like Danny Shelton is just saying, you know, we also lost the Super Bowl because we had flaws, you know, and these are our flaws is that, you know, we need to be a better run defense team. You know, it wasn't that we don't care about run defense. It's that we don't have the resources right now. And, you know, they put a huge resource into it with Danny Shelton. So he's a free agent next year. So he's playing for a contract. I just thought, you know, smart, savvy, just everything that you would expect the Patriots to do was go and get Danny Shelton. And it's because he's such a perfect fit next to Malcolm Brown, who's extremely underrated. Um, another former first round pick from Texas. So, now you have two, you know, high pedigree first round picks next to each other. And I kind of talk about it all the time, how you want one of your guys to, you know, kind of clog things up in the middle and you want the other guy to upfield penetrate. So you got Shelton who's going to penetrate. You have Brown who's going to be the upfield rusher. Um, I think this could be a career year for Malcolm Brown and he's coming off of a strong year. So this could be a really big year for Malcolm Brown. Um, you look into Lawrence Guy could be a, um, a solid depth piece. Vincent Valentine is, you know, the big body. He would arguably that be uh, the Danny Shelton role, but he's coming off of injury. And that's why, you know, their, their two run stuffers, you know, are not on the team right now is, is why um, they were so bad at run stuffing, but they put resources into it. You know, they got Valentine back. So overall, this could be a much better interior unit. All right, let's move to the, uh, the edge here. Uh, what do you like on the edge rushers they have out in Patriots? Yeah, I mean, another situation where this team, you know, we talked. We I just got through, you know, talking about the Bills, Dolphins, and Jets. So I'm just. It's so impressive how the Patriots work compared to those teams. Where, you know, like, well, they had a hole here, but they fixed it with something completely different than what they needed. Here, you know, the Patriots. I'm like, you know, oh, they're adding to their to their needs. It's surprising. Um, you know, their pass rush was bad last year. Um, you know, their pass defense was good. You know, they had corners and safeties who could really get the job done, but they weren't getting after the quarterback to the way that they should have. And, you know, I said all year I thought it was going to, you know, bite them in the butt. You know, arguably, I think it was Cam Newton and Deshaun Watson. I know they beat Deshaun Watson, but I think it was like back-to-back -back weeks. Those two quarterbacks were really just killing them. And I just, you know, it was like week four. I said, you know, it's going to bite them at some point. And, you know, then the, the Eagles finally uh, got to them. But they added a lot of names to this pass rush to try and make it better. Uh, Trey Flowers, you know, is kind of the household name at this point. Uh, he had six and a half sacks last season, you know, was kind of the name – to talk about from the uh, Patriots win over the Falcons. You know, he was arguably, if you had to name a defensive MVP from the Super Bowl, he was the defensive MVP, probably um, him or Hightower. So you have, he's coming back. You kind of know what you have in him and that he's a consistent force, can set the edge. I'm um, going to get you six or seven sacks every year at this point. Now you start to add some pieces to him. Uh, Adrian Claiborne's the first piece that you add to him because he's the name. Uh, everybody talks about his big uh, performance against Ty – or it wasn't Tyron Smith. When Tyron Smith went down, his big performance against the Cowboys left tackle kind of boosted his sacks, kind of boosted the idea of what kind of player this person is. He's a rotational piece. Um, I think he's technically sound. 
but he's not a strong athlete. So I don't think that's a huge upgrade, but I think, you know, you put him in and you start to have some depth. And here's a potential huge upgrade, in my opinion, is uh, Derek Rivers, who was, um, I believe he was a fourth round pick last season. Uh, missed the entire season with an ACL injury, but this was a guy that I really wanted, you know, a team like the Pittsburgh Steelers to draft. I wanted anybody who needed an edge rusher to draft. I believe I had a first round grade on him because he came from Youngstown State, so it was a very small school, so you didn't really trust what you saw on tape. But what you saw on tape was a player who could get around the edge extremely quickly. And, you know, I talked about how this guy could run full speed under a pool table. You know, that's the kind of bend that this person could get around the edge. So um, he showed up to the combine. He tested just, you know, like an athletic freak compared to all the athletic freaks from, you know, Clemson, Alabama and whatnot. I, I'm, I was just shocked that he was there for the Patriots to take him. It might have even been in the fourth round. And, you know, just another savvy, smart move by the Patriots to potentially get um, a superstar speed edge rusher. He missed his first season. There's pictures that he's just jacked this year. You know, it was a lower body injury. Um, I haven't seen his lower body or anything like that, but it looks like he's just upper body is just completely jacked. So just a much stronger player from, you know, the, just the lean, quick player that he was at Youngstown State. You know, now he's in an NFL facility. Um, I think in year two, he could just be a huge player. And, you know, you put him with a guy like Trey Flowers and you have the veteran, like I said, a technically sound player in Adrian Claiborne. And now you see things starting to get together. And then the last piece is Dietrich Wise, um, just a player, you know, with extremely long arms. Uh, he had five sacks as a rookie. So he starts to come in as, as a depth piece. And you're starting to get four men rotating in this pass rush. Uh, I could just see a potential, you know, a step forward from Wise. Um, I think Claiborne's better depth than you've had in, you know, past years. And then you add in if Derek Rivers could potentially be this game breaker that I could potentially see him being, you just have a lot in the pass rush that just wasn't there last year. So it could be a much improved unit. Yeah, it sounds like you got a pretty strong front there um, from defense. So let's move to the middle of this defense and the linebacker core. What do you, what do you see there? So, um, you know, Dante Hightower is obviously the guy that everybody's going to be talking about, and he's coming off a of season-ending surgery. So, you know, on the field, we know exactly what we have in him. He's, you know, he can play in space, but he's just, you know, he holds up the middle. He keeps everyone away from the middle of the field, and, you know, the middle of the field is starting to be a place where people want to, you know, throw the football now. So to have a player like him is valuable, but he missed 22 games in the last four years. Um, he missed 11 last season. Uh, he has peck and shoulder issues. So um, there's definitely some issues here. Um, Kyle Van Noy was a player who kind of stepped into his role last season. Um, I think he's fine in space and he can defend tight ends. Um, I just don't think that he's really, um, you know, p potentially strong enough to be um, the all around linebacker of this group, but you kind of get into the depth and you're wondering, you know, on nickel situations, if you have, uh, like I said, Hightower's, you know, probably the strong player. Um, Van Noy's kind of the free player who can run around in space. So um, on paper, it's definitely good. But if, you know, if you lose a player like Hightower, and like I said, Van Noy has to slide somewhere where he's not used to being. Um, you have a player like a Landon Roberts who's just, you know, pretty undersized. And uh, he, he just doesn't look like it's clicking for him. You know, a young player from Houston, he flashed early into his career. You know, a lot of people said, when they got rid of Jamie Collins, you know, watch out for um, a Landon Roberts, and it hasn't happened for him yet. And then they drafted a couple players in Marquise Flower and Christian Sam. I see those two kind of being more of, you know, the downhill Sam type of player, you know, could potentially rush off of the edge. So that definitely helps if a guy like Benoit has to move into space more. But, you know, they're definitely, you know, creaking on the edge here. You know, they did put some resources into the position, but 
it's still kind of relying on uh, Hightower to make things go in the middle. And I just, it's tough to trust him considering, you know, like I said, it's, it's kind of four years of injuries now. All right. Well, let's move to the secondary here. You want to, oh, this secondary, I'm not sure you want to fully blame them, but uh, they finished 31st in uh, passing yards against though. What uh, can they look forward to here in the 2018 season? In the secondary? Right. And yeah, that in my opinion was the pass rush. So um, I think it's going to be an improved secondary and, um, you know, towards the end of last season, uh, it, it became apparent that Stephon Gilmore was better than Mark uh, Malcolm Butler, and he was probably going to be the guy that you know the Patriots were going to invest in moving forward. Um, obviously, they did. So, um, you know, he was he struggled early into the season, but this is a guy. You know, he's he's got length. Um, he's very physical. He doesn't have an issue. You know, sticking his head in in the run game. He doesn't have an issue. You know, tackling downhill or moving downhill. Um, There's sometimes where he does get grabby and he'll get called for a PI, and I don't think you know. He's probably, if you listed the top cornerbacks, you know, he's probably outside of the top 10 for, you know, a reason like that. But there are, you know, in glimpses and moments, you're getting a top 10 cornerback in the physically imposing nature that he has. So um, you stick him on the outside. And in my opinion, uh, Jason McCourty's 2017 was better than Malcolm Butler's 2017. And I talked about you stole Danny Shelton from the Browns. I don't know why the Browns gave Jason McCourty to the Patriots for, you know, next to nothing again. Um, I know that he's older. Um, I know that he has some question marks around him, but, you know, there was a time last season where, you know, he I think he was PFF, you know, pro football focus, his top cornerback, and he was really doing it. You know, he was extremely elite in this Greg uh, Williams defense that just had so many issues. He was really the only player worth a darn in the entire defense. And then the Patriots get him, you know, and uh, like I said, I think it's an upgrade over Malcolm Butler. So it, it could be a potentially huge addition, in my opinion, especially you get him with his brother, Devin McCourty, you know, and we'll talk about that later. Um, and then, you you know, you add Duke Dawson, in my opinion, um, really good slot cornerback, uh, just a run stuffer, you know, sticks his head in the run, like I talked about for a few of these players. And, you know, Malcolm Butler was a player who could move in and out of the slot. Um, you know, all of a sudden, Duke Dawson is taking some of those snaps. Um, and Johnson Batamosi, you know, one of the issues with benching Mal- Malcolm Butler in the Super Bowl you know, um, I thought it was – I, I was going to write about it. I won't get into why I thought it was a decent idea. But um, Eric Rowe was playing a lot more on the outside because, you know, over a guy like Malcolm Butler. But that meant that Johnson Batamosi was going to have to play uh, in the slot more in the run defender role. Um, he's gone, and I think Duke Dawson is actually going to be, despite the fact that he's a rookie, um, it's because he's so smart. Um, I think he's going to be a better player in the slot um, as in terms of run defense than Johnson Batamosi. Um, and then you talk about Eric Rowe who, like I said, um, he's a specialty player in the fact that he can defend tight ends and, you know, bigger wide receivers. So um, it seemed like they wanted, you know, whether Al- whichever side Alshon Jeffrey or Zach Ertz like to line up outside a lot. Um, they kind of wanted the length on the outside. Um, and that's why a guy like Eric Rowe was coming in. He gave up, you know, the one touchdown to uh, Alshon Jeffrey. I thought he played good defense and it was just Alshon Jeffrey made a great play. I don't think Malcolm Butler's stopping that. So um, I thought Rowe was fine, you know, but I, I think that, you know, now that you can look at the, the entire picture of the secondary and you have McCourty and Gilmore, two physically, you know, imposing cornerbacks, you know, two guys who can really play zone and man, and then you bring Duke Dawson in in the slot. So now Rowe is that specialty player. Like I talked about, you know, he's a dime player or he's, you know, a specific matchup player. Um, and then, you know, you look at the depth, Cyrus Jones, Jonathan Jones have been around special teams players. And then there's J.C. Jackson from my uh, from Maryland, 
who could also play in the slot, who could also move around. So um, I think, you know, you, you lose Malcolm Butler, but you could argue that this is a better overall group moving forward. Yeah, it sounds like some strong cornerbacks there. And then uh, we can round out this defense with the safeties here. Thoughts on the safeties? I think the safeties are really good too. Um, and I think, you know, one of the issues that, you know, nobody wants to talk about with the Malcolm Butler and the benching of the, you know, benching in the Super Bowl and, oh, that was such a bad decision. The issue was Patrick Chung was just bad overall. I just really think Patrick Chung just, you know, whether Butler was out there or not, pa- Patrick Chung was going to get burnt for the majority of this game. And that was an issue for them. But um, he's overall a good safety. So I think he's going to bounce back from that. But that is just, you know, a point in my opinion that I just don't think he was very good last year. Uh, you know, they got him lined up in the slot against, uh, I think it was Corey Clement got him a few times um, right out of the slot. So um, he's a player, you know, he plays safety. He can slide into the box and be, you know, a quote-unquote slot quarterback. Um, you can do a lot of things with him against tight ends and against running backs. I said, you know, in the Super Bowl he had a bad game and, you know, struggled against the, the tight ends and the running backs. But, you know, Bill Belichick was continually, you know, going to him in that matchup because they trust him in that matchup, and he's proven himself in that matchup. So um, I, I still like Patrick Chung um, for what he can do in the box and the fact that he can bring versatility um, because, you know, then you can bring Deron Harmon in, who we'll talk about. But, you know, first was Devin McCourty, who, you know, is more of the free safety, would typically play the cover one type of stuff. But um, he can also slide into the box. And that's what makes things interesting is because, you know, like I said, Chung could be that it's essentially a pseudo slot cornerback. And then um, McCourty, like I said, slides into the box as like a strong safety. And then you have uh, Deron Harmon, who could play over the top as well. And he could kind of um, you could mix and match things with Deron Harmon and Devin McCourty. So, you know, kind of the theme from the Patriots, you know, whether it be offense, whether it be defense, is, you know, mixing and matching, putting the right pieces together, you know, run stuffer next to the upfield penetrator, the speed rusher next to the power player, you know, mixing and matching the safeties. He can move into the box. He can play deep, you know. Like I said, the running backs are tight ends and the tight ends are running backs. It's just a lot of that's what you're getting from the New England Patriots overall. And, you know, this is why they're beating all of the other teams in the NFL because it's not just, you know, well, this is our game and we're going to play our way and we're going to win it this way and that way. You know, it's a, it's the fact of, well, what are their weaknesses? Okay, let's implement our strengths against their weaknesses. You know, oh, he, you know, he's good at this, but he's bad at this. Let's not force him to do what he's bad at. Let's just, you know, highlight and shine on what he's good at. That's the overall theme of what the Patriots are, and that's just why they're so good. And like I said, when you go through this roster, that's just what you hear from them. Goddamn evil empire. They just know how to just press the right <laughs> buttons, man. And they yeah. just keep on winning. Yeah. It's something impressive. All right, well, we'll finish up the defense here. I mean, do you see, like, a, would you say an improvement from last year with this defense, barring any injuries? Right, barring injuries, it should. And it starts with the front seven, and it's the addition of Danny Shelton. And in my opinion, you know, you may not see – Danny Shelton's, you know, his stats may not improve her in any way, but I think what you're going to see is Malcolm Brown is going to improve statistically, and he's going to be better because of Danny Shelton. And then I think Derek Rivers, um, I really do think if Derek Rivers is healthy, it's just going to be just a big middle finger to the NFL because if you look when he got drafted, he should have been drafted higher, and the Patriots are going to show, you know, I, I really think the Patriots are going to show it if he gets healthy. So um, I think those two are two players who could really, really help this defense. Um, and then, like I said, you add potentially um, McCourty and Duke Dawson, and you know they're potentially upgrades over the players that were in those spots before. 
All right, well, that's about round up the Patriots here. Let's talk a little betting, though. Um, so, as I said before, the Patriots won 14 out of the last 15 years of the AFC East. Um, do you like the odds of them winning the AFC East at minus 750? I mean, it sounds like the lock of the century, if you would listen to the first three pods especially. Right, yeah, like you said. I mean, it's just so tough to envision. Like I said, Tom Brady's not going to fall off a cliff. It's, that's just not realistically how the world works. And, you know, even if Rob Gronkowski goes down, they've proven that they can do it. And like I said, they're just so much schematically ahead of the other teams. Um, you know, the real question is, does Brian Hoyer win this division? But you know, that, that, we could get into, you know, a 30-minute podcast on that. But, you know, Tom Brady does win this division. Uh, the Patriots probably win it running away. Uh, okay. And then, uh, see, they're over-under set 11 wins, which is the highest in the league. The second house would be 10 and a half. You have, like, Philly and Pittsburgh. That would be it. So do you like the over or the under of 11 wins? Right. When I went through their uh, projections, I have them at 12 and four. So, you know, it's just a small lean to the over. Um, I probably wouldn't play it. I like of all the AFC East teams, I like the Bills under the most for sure. But mm-hmm. um, probably you could probably say the Patriots over is the second uh, would be the second best bet of all of, of the four teams. So um, I like it due to the fact that, you know, like we both have said that there's just no competition in this division right now. Um, I like it for the fact that the Patriots know how important home field advantage is and know that they want to lock that up early. So, you know, you get to 12, 13 quick. Um, and I just like it due to the fact that, you know, uh, Warren Sharp, um, I talked to, you know, about something that he said earlier in the podcast. Uh, he does the, uh, the schedule rankings as far as the toughest schedule and he does it differently than um, last year's record because he doesn't think last year's record is predictive towards the next year. He looks at other variables such as stats um, weighted against your opponents. So he has the Patriots as far and away with the easiest schedule in the NFL. And it probably oh, has to do great. with the Dolphins. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it probably has to do with, you know, well, when you get six games against the Bills, the Dolphins, yeah. and the Jets, you know, it just boosts that schedule up. But they should have an easy schedule. It should be navigation. It should be navigable. Um, you know, there's some sleepers in the AFC, but, you know, it's still the Steelers and the Patriots when it comes to uh, the regular season. And, you know, probably the Patriots, like I said, want to get that home field advantage. So you have to go over if you're going anywhere with this team. And uh, for those who are wondering, they also have the best Super Bowl odds at plus 650. I'm pulling these from Odd Shark. And, uh, I mean, I'm not sure it's good value. Obviously not, maybe because it's the worst. But they do go to the AFC Championship every year, so plus 650. All right, uh, Park, so let's uh, finish up the Patriots here. Do you have any uh, last words for uh, Patriots fans out there probably listening to this? As a Steelers fan, I'm going to let you know that I'm very worried, as of every year, to play the Patriots. We play in the regular season, and if we do go to the playoffs, we will most likely run into them. So what's any final thoughts here? Yeah, same idea. I mean, they're the favorites until anybody can knock them off. And I just think that betting on the Steelers to knock them off, can't do it until I see it. So, yeah, and there's just, you know, there's this, there's a gap between the Steelers and the Patriots. Like I said, there could be some sleepers, um, but it's going to it's gonna take something to knock this team off, and they're just going to continue to do what they do. So, um, yeah, the evil empire survives. Um, I got it going. Patriots in first in the division. Uh, the Dolphins in second, the Jets in third, and the Bills in fourth. Damn. All right, well, that'll finish up the AFC East here, and that'll finish up the Patriots. Um, what team we uh, – we're going to the AFC North next. That's uh, the Guild Steelers division. I think, what, the uh, Ravens? Yes, sir. Baltimore Ravens up next. All right, well, until next time, guys. See you then.